Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Hi, welcome to Bookie. Today we will unlock the contents of the book, How the Mighty Fall, and Why Some Companies Never Give In. The author of this book is probably no stranger to you, James Collins is the renowned author of business bestsellers Built to Last and Good to Great, the first focused on how to build a superior company, the second on Phoenix's, ordinary companies that become great. In How the Mighty Fall, he explores instead the stories of once superior companies that become mediocre or even fail altogether. How were such mighty beasts brought to their knees? Collins says that, originally, how the mighty fall was not even in his writing agenda it was rather by coincidence that he began to study fallen companies. In 2004, when asked to give a speech at West Point, he had chosen the topic is America renewing its greatness, or is America dangerously on the cusp of falling from great to good, a provocation that sparked a great discussion between, those who thought the United States was on a slippery slope, and those who thought its dominance would go on unchallenged. Going forward, Collins started to become interested in the topic of this book, How Do the Mighty Fall? Then, during the 2008 financial crisis, many outstanding companies were caught up in financial turmoil and eventually collapsed. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were first, Bear Stearns followed suit, Lehman Brothers' 158 years of glory came to an end, as did Merrill Lynch's century-long business. The question of how do the mighty fall became more urgent and important than ever, so Collins further prioritized the writing of his book on the topic. He and his team spent several years carefully selecting 11 companies to study and, using a research-grounded perspective of how decline can happen, came up with a roadmap to decline. This roadmap is divided into five stages, defined by him as, hubris born of success, undisciplined pursuit of more, denial of risk and peril, grasping for salvation, and capitulation to irrelevance or death. Companies can refer to the structure introduced in the book to better identify the current state of their business and hopefully get out of trouble, returning to the right path that once made them outstanding and brilliant. Next, we will review the content of this book in three parts. Part 1, Latent Phase, Why Do Outstanding Companies Decline? Part 2, Crisis Phase, The Standard Process of Corporate Decline? Part 3, Built to Last, How to Counter Corporate Decline? Part 1, Latent Phase, Why Do Outstanding Companies Decline? Collins collected information on 60 companies while in the process of writing Built to Last and Good to Great. In writing this book, Collins reanalyzed them with the focus on answering the two-part question, what happened leading up to the point at which decline became visible and what did the company do once it began to fall? Collins makes a point of noting that in selecting the 11 subjects for this book, he did not choose companies such as Fannie Mae and Lehman, which were deeply affected by the 2008 financial crisis, because that would have lacked relevance in the broader context of the book. Instead, he chose companies whose stories could have long-term significance, such as the Ames department stores, Hewlett-Packard, HP, Motorola, Zenith, and more. In terms of methodology, Collins' critical question is not what do success stories have in common, or what do failures have in common. Instead, he sets out to answer the question what do we learn by studying the contrast between success and failure. Specifically, he asks, taking two companies of the same period, industry, size, and operating under the same conditions, why did one fall, while the other did not? For example, let's take a look at two retailers that Collins examined, Ames Department Stores and Walmart, Collins charted the stock returns of these two companies, comparing them with the general market to form a study of contrasts. 
He found that, in the 1970s, the two companies were comparable in revenues and profits, both achieving tremendous growth and exceptional investor returns far in excess of the general stock market for more than a decade, with the two curves representing their performances tracking each other very closely. Both companies also had bold and determined leaders. Yet around 1986, the two curves, which had up until then been converging, began to diverge, Walmart's continued to climb while Ames plunged downward. What caused this contrast between the prosperity of one business and the decline of the other under the same conditions? We will unveil it later. Following this method for studying many different companies, Collins came up with the five stages of corporate decline, hubris born of success, undisciplined pursuit of more, denial of risk and peril, grasping for salvation, and capitulation to irrelevance or death. Of these, the first two belong to the latent phase of the corporate decline process, while the last three belong to the crisis phase. Let's take a look at the first stage of corporate decline, the hubris born of success. When it comes to the decline of outstanding companies, a well-worn explanation is that they have not kept pace with the changes in the industry or outside the company, and that they have been defeated by the perennial gale of creative destruction, a view held by the famous economist Joseph Schumpeter among others. In The Innovator's Dilemma, author Clayton M. Christensen also mentions that the better a company is managed, the easier it is for it to ignore the power of disruptive innovation, thus giving many emerging companies the opportunity to take advantage of it. Collins' research, on the other hand, shows that while external threats are certainly related to corporate decline, companies are still capable of building a business that can cope with disruption, uncertainty, and dramatic change and thrive for decades. Thus, he concludes that, among the various internal causes of decline, the most relevant is the arrogance and hubris that comes with past achievements. For example, by the mid-1990s, Motorola had grown into a preeminent company with $27 billion in annual revenue and holding nearly 50% of the cell phone market share. In 1995, when marketing their new StarTech flip phone that had a sleek clamshell design, Motorola set a tough distribution goal, informing mainstream carriers such as Bell Atlantic, that Motorola phones had to account for about 75% of the total number of phones sold by the carrier and that carriers also had to focus on promoting Motorola phones with a separate promotional campaign. This you must attitude annoyed Bell Atlantic, who responded that no manufacturer would dictate how much of their product to distribute. Motorola was not only arrogant towards its dealers, but also oblivious of the new trends. Despite the increasing maturity of digital technology, Motorola StarTac phones were still using outdated analog technology. A Motorola executive was totally unconcerned about the digital threat, declaring to the public that 43 million analog customers can't be wrong. With all of their arrogant words and actions, Motorola became slower and slower in reacting to market changes and finally went down in disgrace. By 1999, Motorola's market share of cell phones had dropped from 50% to 17%, their decline steeped in arrogance. Once they collect impressive achievements, some leaders forget gratefulness and tend to believe it was their own ability rather than luck that has made the business successful. At the same time, they think they can take bigger risks, achieve even stronger growth and keep making new leaps. Some leaders, on the other hand, harbor a sense of humility, always thinking of themselves as young students of their industry, constantly seeking to acquire new knowledge and learn from others. Take the two retail companies mentioned earlier as examples. Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, is the kind of person who is open-minded and eager to learn. 
Once, some investors from Brazil acquired a discount retail chain and sent many emails to their distinguished counterparts in the U.S. asking for opportunities to learn from their experience, of those, only Walton acknowledged and replied to them. When the two sides communicated, the Brazilians were surprised to find that Walton kept asking them questions about how they were handling business in Brazil. Later it dawned on the Brazilians that, despite the original purpose of them reaching out to him, it seemed that it was not them, who were learning from Walton, but Walton who was learning from them. In comparison, Ames Department Stores was not so humble. The newest man in charge made sweeping changes, and while visionary, he also casually threw out policies that had made the company successful in the first place, making many major changes on his own terms. As a result, Ames became a completely different company due to an undisciplined pursuit of growth. This undisciplined pursuit of more is a direct product of arrogance and, according to Collins, the second stage of corporate decline. Before venturing in formal research, Collins believed that the root cause of the eventual decline of many companies was complacency. But his findings show that, on the contrary, catastrophic failures are often caused by motivated, hardworking and creative people, who become overwhelmed by the initial success of a company and, believing that they and their company can do anything, try desperately to scale up their successes and use past experience to amplify them. The heir of the Ames retail empire is a good example of this. In 1988, Ames bought Zayer and decided to take advantage of the acquisition to enter the big cities, but destroying the momentum gained in small towns through 30 years of hard work in the process. The new leader saw opportunities in acquisitions. But acquisitions can be a double-edged sword, and once unsheathed, there is no turning back. When he found that a particular acquisition did not bring the expected results, there was no remedy for the heavy losses suffered, resulting in the accelerated decline of Ames. Walmart, on the other hand, continued to root its business in rural areas and small towns, steadily attacking and conquering one area after another, eventually defeating Ames department store completely. What Ames apparently didn't realize was that big does not equal great, and and vice versa. The lesson it taught us is that to neglect your core business while leaping towards exciting new adventures is a reckless and ultimately unrewarding behavior, as it is to blindly pursue growth at the expense of long-term success. This was part one of today's bookie, describing the latent phase of corporate decline. We discussed why exceptional companies decline and why, under the same conditions, some companies remain exceptional while others go out of business quickly. Collins' research shows that hubris born out of success is a sure sign of corporate decline, and the undisciplined pursuit of more is a tremendous temptation that leaders face and often need to resist. During these two stages, the business may still have a good outlook, but decline is already lurking underneath. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.